is in the books. Welcome into episode 11 of Fantasy Football Today DFS. Frank Stanfield joined as always by Mike McClure and Sian Najad. And we've got a lot to go over today on the podcast. Cash game lineup review, our biggest hits and misses from week one, some lessons that we learned, the Millie Maker winning lineup. This is something we plan to do every single week. And then an early look at week two pricing. We'll go position by position. So uh, it's good to point out, not just recapping last week, we are going to take a very early look ahead to week two as well. What is going on, Sia? How did week one treat you? You know, decent. Uh, it wasn't as good as, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about this when we do the lineup review. There was a couple of plays that I really liked early in the week, but because of my roster construction, I just didn't get to a couple of those plays. Um, and, 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 it, and it really came down to what a lot of people did, which was take some of those low-end receivers to make other things work. I wasn't really on Marquez Callaway, but as we'll see, I was on some of the other cheaper wide receiver options. And so that definitely hurt me in a lot of my GPPs in, in many of my cash games. But overall, it, it was pretty good. And, um, you know, I ended up playing some showdown. Mike rubbed off on me a little bit because I, I did pretty well. well. We'll look at a showdown lineup later in the show where I did pretty well there. And then, of course, Mike also gave me, this is not DFS related, uh, a first touchdown score in Van Jefferson, which everybody in the world got at 40 to 1, but I got it 28 to 1. So I'll take it either way. So... <laughs> Mike, thank you for that. Don't get greedy on me now, Sia. It's, it's only week one. It's, we'll take some Van Jefferson uh, first touchdown score props for sure. And you can catch Mike over on the early edge where he was giving out those bets. Uh, of course, it's a shorter podcast, but they definitely are helping giving out some winners early on here. Mike, how you doing? Uh, based on some screenshots that I saw, I would say that you had a pretty damn good week, which include uh, included a crazy close finish on Monday Night Football, thanks to Zay Jones. Yeah, Monday Night Football is a big sweat. The uh, you know the main slate was overall pretty good, and the only reason it's good, I not to you know we're gonna talk about this in a few minutes, but the only reason it was good, frankly, is I was higher on Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey than everyone else, and that is what allowed me to essentially print the money there that week. Otherwise, it was going to be a disaster if they did not show up. But fortunately, they showed up for me last night. Monday Night Football. Looked like it was not going to go my way. Um, didn't have any exposure to Josh Jacobs. Absolutely, basically 0% exposure. Uh, he got a lot of those touchdowns. But fortunately, it uh, fell in my favor here. Um, you know, I was able to make a decent return on the investment, but massive difference in the payout, as you can see on the screen. Uh, 92000 versus about nine hundred um, between these two lineups. And... He did it without Lamar Jackson. I had Lamar at only 20 points, and some of those turnovers ended up being what cost me a pretty significant payday. It would not have been 90000 because there are a few more people that were tied, but it would have been in the neighborhood of twelve to fifteen, uh, which is still a massive, massive difference than the 900 Yeah, I mean, what we're going to do here <clears throat> on the podcast, usually if you're watching on video, youtube.com slash fantasy football today is we're going to pull up some screenshots from the week before when we're reviewing certain lineups. So if you want to watch along, of course, we'll talk it out. So if you're listening on audio side, uh, you don't have to worry about that. But uh, yeah, on video, if you're watching right here, a point zero four, no point four zero difference between Mike's lineup and the first place lineup. And that is the difference between ninety thousand dollars which is just absolutely insane but hey uh, again we're not going to get greedy it's, it's still a winning week for yeah. mike uh, i wish uh, and for sia I, I wish that i could say the same for myself but we'll talk about it a little bit later on you guys give me a few pointers and, and we'll try and uh, get back on track get frank back on track i mean selfishly a lot of this podcast is is, is for me too like I, I'm, tr I'm trying to learn i'm trying to I'm trying to better myself as well uh but let's jump right in 
look at some of these cash game lineups. And uh, Mike, we'll go right back to you, and we'll we'll start with uh, with your cash game lineup here, which obviously featured a ton of Kansas City Chiefs, which you said you were going to do. You said it back in preseason. You said it last week. You said you were going to be higher on the Kansas City Chiefs, and that that's exactly what you did in your cash game lineup. Yeah, it's exactly what I did there. And, you know, we had some more value open up, uh, you know, the morning of for sure. And that really led me to some uh, interesting lineup decisions. Ended up getting McCaffrey in there in that same lineup as well. Absolutely missed on Marquez Callaway. Uh, it's very interesting if you followed the Callaway thing at all, right? Um, caught, I believe the first pass of the game, right? And then didn't have another catch, maybe not even another target the rest of the day. Uh, obviously, that game script was totally flipped. Uh, we thought that they would potentially be trailing by a touchdown. But fortunately, as you can see on the screenshot here, everyone was on him. And for, for good reason, it was still a fine play, 62% owned. Uh, but the other thing that really, really helped me was the conviction on Rondale Moore. Uh, I talked him up a lot on the um, early edge podcast, getting him to actually hit at the $3,000 price when guys like Elijah Moore in my lineup did not hit. That's the value that opened up on Sunday morning as we got the clarity around Jamison Crowder. So that's why you see me here jamming in Christian McCaffrey and having to let go of Devontae Adams, something that I wasn't planning to do earlier in the week, but we got that extra value <laughs> with more that turned out to not be value. But it led me to Christian McCaffrey and his score obviously exceeded Devontae Adams. And as you see, what won it for me is single-digit ownership on Patrick Mahomes and very almost single-digit ownership on Travis Kelsey, the two that I was very, very high on. Yeah, I actually had single-digit ownership on my quarterback as well. The, the problem was that it, it wasn't Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> We'll get to that in just a second. But uh, yeah, looking over here, Patrick Mahomes, Alvin Kamara, CMC. Then you go, you pay down at wide receiver, which was very, very popular. A lot of the the replicable like lineups that I saw, like people having the same lineup over and over. It was pay down at wide receiver. It was pay up at running back. Uh, and then it was probably some combination of like Jalen Hurts, Kyle Pitts, but you went with uh, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey here. Your wide receivers all under 4K, Marvin Jones, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, and then you have Marquez Callaway in the flex, and you ride with the, the Bills defense there uh, on the bottom. And you're right about Marquez Callaway because he did catch the first pass of the game. You finished with two targets on the day. Jameis Winston throws the ball 20 times, five touchdowns, only 148 passing yards. Just such a weird, weird game there for uh, the New Orleans Saints and the Packers. I, I wonder now, like, is Aaron Rodgers just kind of like mailing it in? <laughs> is he just kind of, is this like, uh, is this his revenge tour against the Green Bay Packers? I don't think so. Um, I think he had a poor start and wasn't up for playing in this game, but I think he's he loves the drama, whether he'll admit it or not. He's going to bounce back in a big, big way at home on Monday Night Football. We're going to have a showdown slate for that one, too. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, but no, I don't think he's mailing it in at this point. Um, just a, a really bad week. Got off on the you know poor start. So only thing I want to mention on that cash game, sorry, to you, I want to mention there when people look at it is it just illustrates that especially when you're playing cash games, you do not have to be perfect. You see the number of snuff, the little ice emojis in my lineup, the number of single digits points in my lineup. And it still ended up being a, what, a top 10 to 15% lineup. Uh, you do not have to be perfect, especially when, you know, things go your way and you have that conviction on a quarterback that's single digit ownership, like Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you, you do not have to be perfect. See, what were you going to say? 
No, I was going to say about that Packers game, one note there is Jeff Okuda looks to be out for the season. So not only does he get an already bad Detroit defense, but he gets them without their best defensive back. I mean, it couldn't be a better setup coming off of such a bad game. So he didn't look ready week one, and, and there's some probably reasons for that. But I think especially now you have an extra day to plan for Detroit without their best defensive back. I mean, it's going to be an absolute field day, probably not just for the passing game, but the running game as well. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers did not play in the preseason as well. There were a couple other quarterbacks that didn't play in the preseason, and you could see it around the NFL. I mean, there was some rust. It's week one. It's definitely going to happen there. Mike, how nervous were you uh, halfway through the Chiefs game when uh, the Chiefs were not really, not really doing much at that point? Yeah, I mean, I was a little nervous, but fortunately, that even though they weren't doing a whole heck of a lot, Travis Kelsey was still getting hit with some targets early in that game. And frankly, we want that team trailing. Uh, we want them to abandon the run for the most part. We want them throwing the football. We want them trailing to the point where they're at least going to, I shouldn't even say trailing. We want a competitive game. We want a one-score game either direction. We want them throwing the football. So I... You know, it, it wasn't fun. I was obviously way more worried about the Callaway shares after the Elijah Moore zero, essentially, after my Bills defense landing at two points. Um, I knew it was going to take an absolutely big day from Patrick Mahomes, but I once I saw the ownership on it, I was like, okay, there's definitely a shot that this, this game really, really saves my day. All right, let's jump over to Sia and see what happened here with your cash game lineup. Sia, and uh, I'll let you take it away here and kind of explain some of your thought processes. Yeah, so this one finished just outside of the money. So this one did not cash, <clears throat> but it's one of those things where it's funny because look at that lineup. It just doesn't look very good. I mean, obviously, very few fire emojis. I've only got two on there, a, a lot of ice colds, but this literally finished like probably, I didn't look at it, probably the 55 percentile. So just outside of the cash, which really tells me I was really just correcting one mistake away from easily cashing in this one. So again, to Mike's point, it, it it this this really is a good time for everybody to recognize it's kind of easy to 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 play cash and and get you know double your money because all you need to do is be right in two or three places and you're going to be good to go so i started with jalen hurts you'll notice that i didn't stack him it's a cash game so i certainly didn't have to jalen i'm going to get the passing yards i'm going to get the running yards I probably could and should have stacked him with Devontae Smith, but I was I was more willing to speculate on other rookie receivers that were just going to be cheaper and going to allow me to do certain things that I wanted to do. So I put in Dalvin Cook, which is a little bit of a curious move. I mean, I, I probably should have paid up for CMC, seeing as though I was really big on Kirk Cousins in that passing game last week. If you recall our shows, I thought Thielen and Jefferson were going to have great games. So I probably should have backpedaled on Dalvin and put in CMC there. Gibson just seemed like a good value, particularly for cash. Julio Jones was probably the big mistake. I don't really know whether to call that a big mistake in, in reality. I mean, the game script was so perfect for Julio and A.J. Brown. It really doesn't make sense that Julio was this bad. But, you know, it ends up being a mistake. It was it was a, a low-owned guy. I, obviously, if, if he gets a touchdown or 40 or 50 more yards, I'm good to go there. Tyler Lockett was a guy I was on all week. The, the real problems came down to Mike Davis and Elijah Moore. Um, Elijah Moore, you know, now that I think about it, if I had just come off Julio Jones, I would have been able to go up to probably Corey Davis or 
go up to Christian McCaffrey or both, or maybe get Marvin Jones, which was definitely a better play. Because Elijah Moore, now that I think about it, it was a little too speculative because we hadn't actually seen him. Whereas with some of these other guys like Marvin Jones, for example, or Corey Davis, we had actually seen it. So we, we kind of knew uh, what was going to happen there. I'm not really too disappointed in the Mike Davis move. It just it just didn't really work out. I thought he'd catch a, a, a few more. Texans defense worked out for me for the most part, considering I was punting. And then I took the Kyle Pitts chalk because it's cash, and I figured I may as well. So the, the big mistakes there, if, if you want to call them mistakes, was definitely Elijah Moore. And maybe I probably should have come down off Julio Jones there. I don't I don't think you were wrong about Dalvin Cook though because like this is the lineup that I kept seeing in cash and it featured CMC Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara had all three running backs and then a bunch of people were spending down at wide receiver Marquez mm-hmm. Callaway Marvin Jones Elijah Moore I saw Rondell Moore in some of those lineups as well so people that was the plan I think for most people in cash was pay up for running backs pay down at wide receiver a lot of Kyle Pitts it was very popular uh, and then Jalen Hurts which Again, like I had him in my lineup all week and then and then I switched off last second and uh, I'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, like I even saw Mike Davis in a few lineups and I don't like his usage was still like pretty good, all things mm-hmm. considered uh, for the Atlanta Falcons in that game, though. I mean, just overall, the Atlanta Falcons looked absolutely lost there. So yeah, that was that was a mess of a situation there. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pull up my lineup here and we can kind of pick this thing apart. And the main thing was that on Sunday morning, I switched off Jalen Hurts to Ryan Tannehill, and I don't know why. I think the reason why I did it was that I had the Falcons defense in my lineup, which ultimately like doesn't really make that much sense anyway. Because like who cares? Like it's it's a cheap defense anyway, right? So uh, I didn't want to have my quarterback going up against my defense, which just seems like a dumb mistake. But uh, here it is. I go with Ryan Tannehill. He's four percent on again, which. The Titans are playing from behind the entire game. Everything kind of set up perfectly for him. The Titans just got mm. absolutely decimated. Their offensive line was awful. The Cardinals got after him. Uh, Chandler Jones had like five sacks in that game. He was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, they looked, the Titans passing game looked rusty for sure. I got the two big running backs there and Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, wide receiver, I had Marquez Callaway. I actually rocked with you know those four to five K wide receivers, T Higgins and Corey Davis, which Worked out very well. Corey Davis had a monster week. I had both of those guys right around 13% ownership. So that was fine. Kyle Pitts. I actually like the usage for Kyle Pitts. He ran like 33 routes. He was tied for the team lead in targets. Uh, It just didn't happen. The Falcons were awful. This one, Raheem Mostert in the flex. And you guys could talk about how you handled the, the Trey Sermon news. And I don't think it was... So Trey Sermon comes out, he's inactive at 1130. I don't think it was going to change Raheem Mostert's outlook all that much. But did give me a bit of a boost. I think, you know, he's probably gonna get a few more carries here and then he gets hurt. So it's just like, I don't know if it's just complete bad luck. Maybe you guys could talk about it. This like, was my thought process off here. I originally had Chris Carson in this lineup at the flex. I take him out. I put Raheem Mostert in there. I think Raheem Mostert was like a hundred dollars cheaper. And then I see all these San Francisco running backs scoring points, Elijah Mitchell and, uh, Jermichael Hasty scores a touchdown too, and I'm just like that. All could have been Raheem Mostert. Uh, so right. I think for me, the, like going off of uh, Jalen Hurts to Ryan Tannehill, and then I just kind of ran bad with with Raheem Mostert getting hurt. But yeah. Mike, what do you think about think, uh, this lineup overall? My cash game lineup. So I think that you ran bad. Um, there are two things that I'd like to see you do in the future. Number one, even though Tannehill is mobile, I would love to see him handcuffed somewhere with one of the pass catchers. And then the actual, which I'm not trying to be mean, but you did make a massive mistake 
that I want to teach because I, I think it can save you and help you a lot. And I think you're probably going to talk about it later in the show. You have Alvin Kamara in the running back spot, even though his game is a late game. He should be in your flex spot. So you have ultimate flexibility to late swap later on. Okay. So what would have happened in the general here, you would have seen Mostert, who would have been in the running back spot up there. You would have seen him get hurt. You would have known, okay, crap, I can't play a 51% owned player now in Alvin Kamara. You have him in the flex spot at that expensive salary. You could go swap to someone like Tyreek Hill, get some exposure to that Chiefs game. You could run a double tight end with Travis Kelsey. You could do all sorts of different things just to get different enough. Because at that point, when you had seen um, that, that Pitts wasn't doing anything, your defense was at zero, and then Mostert was hurt, you likely would have wanted to understand, okay, look at who I've got coming up. We know that Kamara is going to be the chalk. There's a very low probability of this lineup cashing now because half the field is going to get the same points that I am. Mm. So that's the only thing. It's a great teaching point. It's something that everyone does. And frankly, if you use a lineup optimizer, sometimes they don't even have them programmed correctly to put the players in the right spot. But you always want to make sure that your flex player, because it's likely a running back or a wide receiver, obviously, you want to make sure that whoever is in that spot is the last game of the day the last game on your slate. So if you're all 1 p.m. players, it doesn't matter. But in this case, when you're playing someone that is in a later game, you want to give yourself the ultimate flexibility to make swaps based on any sort of injury news or that scenario when the less, some parts of the lineup uh, do not succeed. Yeah, and, and by the way, Frank, if your lineup looks busted in, in, in the same way that we're talking about with Mostert, you know, moving off of Callaway would have also been a, a decent idea because you know he's probably going to be the chalkiest guy. So you could have moved off yep. Callaway depending on what you had left over to, you know, Jalen Waddle or, or one of the Browns receivers like Schwartz. I think a lot of people might have gone Donovan Peoples Jones, which wouldn't have worked out. But there, there were plenty of receivers. To, so that that's it's just such a good point by Mike, and it's like the prototypical moment to take advantage of late swap, whether you have. Most of it in the flex or not, like because that 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 it's true that is a mistake. But you could have also done it with Callaway too. You just had locked in to receiver spot for the afternoon games. So I actually should have hit you guys up because I was going to swap off Kamara and Marquez Callaway. The thing was, I was right behind the cash line, go, uh, cash line going into the afternoon games. So I thought, all right, look, if these guys have monster games like I think they do, like yeah, everyone's going to move up. But I'm I think I'm going to move past some people as well. So. I was right behind the cash line, and then obviously Marquez Callaway puts up the dud, so uh, you know that that doesn't come through. But I was looking; I was going to swap to Jarvis Landry and Miles Gaskin, and Landry put up 19, and Gaskin put up like 12 or 13, and I I I would have cashed if I if I did that too. So it was something that I was looking at. I I could have taken Marquez Callaway out for like Tyreek Hill, and and I don't know went super cheap at running back somehow. But yeah, I, I mean, these are all things that I considered, but I think it's a, a good learning point there uh, for sure when it comes to the cash game lineup. That Like the Tannehill, Jalen Hurts thing, like that that point difference is the reason why I didn't cash there as well. So, I mean, that's just annoying. And then the Raheem Mostert thing. So all those things compounded. I, I was pretty annoyed. I was pretty annoyed. Uh, and then I had to start prepping for a baseball podcast Sunday night. So I'm like, oh, gosh, what is it? What, what a great week one this was. Uh, all right, so... That was my biggest blunder of the week, uh, my biggest whammy, I guess you can call it. But would you guys like to uh, highlight some of your biggest hits, maybe some of your biggest misses? Uh, you already talked about some of them here, but see, we'll go to you. Some of your biggest hits, some of your biggest misses from week one. Yeah, you mean in terms of players or in terms of tournaments? Uh, it could be, I mean, a lineup that you put together that hit well. It could be a player that you were on or a player that you were on that didn't hit. 
Uh, well, I'll tell you, the biggest misses were those low-end receivers. You know, it's it's one thing, you know, obviously I, I play a lot more GPP than I do cash. So it, it, it's open season to speculate there. But I think I, I probably got just a little bit too speculative with the, the Elijah Moores of the world. I mean, it did make sense, don't get me wrong, to play Elijah Moore and some of these other low-end guys. Rondell Moore actually ended up working out to some degree. But I mean, just paying up for Marvin Jones or finding a way to get up to Corey Davis, who we all liked. If you recall, that was my value play, you know, last Thursday when we went over those guys. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to have come off of those guys, especially in my cash lineup. So I, that, that was a pretty big miss. I'll, I'll tell you the off the top. And by the way, Mostert was a miss, too, because I had a lot of Mostert, especially when the Trey Sermon news came out. I mean, listen, he was going to smash. Yep. He was going to do everything and maybe then some that Elijah Mitchell did. And by the way, he had two carries. You know what he averaged in those two carries? <laughs> yards per carry? 10 yards a pop. Exactly. So, I mean, that that, that wasn't going to go away. Actually, Mostert's best game is in the second half when the defense is worn down and he just piles through them and, you know, runs 22 miles per hour to the end zone. So that was not a mistake, but it's just it's just one of those things that didn't work out. And that that's sometimes that's going to be just the role of injuries. But I would say a hit would be... I was really big on Adam Thielen and Tyler Lockett. And I think if I had sort of stuck to those constructions with, let's say, Thielen, Lockett, and DeAndre Hopkins, for example, and then let's say I just went really cheap everywhere else, including the running back, and I just tried to find as much value as possible. In GPPs, that construction would have been really good because it would have been different because most people were paying down at receiver and paying up at running back. So reversing the script on guys that I liked at the receiver position would have probably really helped just get me different. If I was able to find the value at running back, then it would have gotten me um uh, it, it would have gotten me some big wins. The Marvin Jones thing too. He was my uh value play of the week last week and then I didn't even put him in my cash game lineup. And then I mean that was frustrating because it was literally like at the buzzer, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> Marvin Jones uh scores that touchdown, so yeah, a lot, a lot of things went wrong for me there uh, in that lineup, but I, I do take the blame for some of the mistakes that I made myself as well. Mike, some of your bigger hits and misses from week one? I mean, the big hits, definitely. It's still that Kansas City Chiefs thing. And then the mid-range in some of my tournaments, uh, I went mid-range at running back there. Um, hit pretty well with Chase Edmonds and Chris Carson. Carson, in the tournament I played in a three-max tournament, tournament 2.3% owned. Uh, Chase Edmonds, 8% owned in that one. Um, bringing it back on Jarvis Landry. I think we, we might have that. I don't know if you have that lineup to pull up or not, but if we do, I just hit all across the board there. And then what I did wrong was basically the same thing. Um, after I started having some you know, trouble in the cash game lineup with Elijah Moore and the defense, um, I probably should have swapped off of Callaway. Um, same, same exact story there. Uh, I was struggling. I already had two value plays that hit. I knew that Callaway was the most popular player on the slate by a wide margin, and I left him in there. Uh, obviously, it still worked out for me there, but it was definitely something that I should have swapped. And then I think the second thing is I was willing to play so much Callaway. I was willing to get on to Elijah Moore on the day of. I was willing to play Marvin Jones, but for some reason, I was not willing to eat what I presumed to be the chalk on some of the Bengals wide receivers, which ended up scoring relatively well. Um, and, and I completely excluded them from my player pool, did not use them in any of my five lineups. Um, and that was likely a mistake. Uh, see, I did want to point out, I know you had a nice little win there on Sunday Night Football Showdown too. So uh, I was going to pull this lineup up and we can kind of maybe maybe get Mike's kind of uh, dissection of this since he's our, our showdown I'd guy. I'd love that, actually. 
Yeah, because- I, this this really is all a result of of the 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 Mike McClure karma, if you will. So, <laughs> Mike, give, give me diagnosis here. Obviously, this did pretty well. Um, Frank, not to cut you off, I think it was twenty third out of of. 4,900 or something like that. Um, tell me, talk to us about this construction. The construction is interesting having the, the running back against the defense, but it, those kind of negative correlations on a, what is presumed to be a lower scoring slate and ended up being a lower scoring slate out of the, uh, out of the, the bears are actually fine plays. Uh, the biggest thing you did right, obviously was captain Matt Stafford at the quarterback spot. And then, lock in the receivers. Um, anytime you have a quarterback like that, you're going to want a bare minimum of two pass catchers. And you've got that here. And fortunately for you, you got the two long touchdowns here. You got Van Jefferson, who obviously had a great day for all of us, really. And then Cooper Cup. Uh, I, I think it's good. And then playing off that same build, you've got Henderson in there. You think the Rams are going to pull away late. Uh, I think he finds the end zone. He does. And it works out really, really well for you. I think what you did that most people wouldn't do is play David Montgomery against the Rams. Uh, but that that Rams at, at that price, I mean, that's what allowed you to cash nicely and kind of still having that conviction on David Montgomery in there. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I the reason I put Montgomery in there was because I just thought he was, and I, I might be wrong about this because Damian Williams got plenty of run, especially late, but I thought he was kind of game script proof because, and especially with Andy Dalton, I thought he'd see a lot of dump offs. We know he's a pass catcher, but to your point, I, I think that the, the point you're making maybe is try to get Allen Robinson in there or some sort of pass catcher because of the game script mm-hmm. that I'm going with here. Yeah, yeah t- typically you would want to, even though this worked out for you and likely if it would have been Robinson, it worked out better. Um, but yeah, definitely what I would have probably done is I would have went full on Rams. So I would have, instead of Montgomery, I probably would have played uh, someone like Darnell Mooney, um, a little mm-hmm. cheaper wide receiver there, and then get another pass catcher on the Rams, whether it's Higby or whoever, if you can, depending on salary and just yep. go full on Rams onslaught with non number one wide receiver because if non if number one wide receiver is really 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 going off the game it, the onslaught's likely not working what you want there is wide receiver two three tight end whatever uh because they're likely locking down the number one wide receiver which is why they're struggling and losing the game yeah and I overall think it's a great build from a pure game perspective too that would have made sense to build that way too, considering that we had Jalen Ramsey uh, going up against Allen Robinson. So even more mm-hmm. so, uh, reasons to go into to lean into the wide receiver two or wide receiver three for the Chicago Bears. I actually ha- had a similar lineup. See, the only thing I did differently was I used Robert Woods instead of Cooper Cup. So I had the mm-hmm. same. I had everything else five by one, same exact thing. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yours worked out a little bit better there with uh, with Cooper Cup. So uh, good stuff. There. Any other lessons you guys wanted to reveal from week one? I know for me, I, I think I left too much for Sunday. So w- whether that's creating more lineups on Fridays and Saturdays moving forward, maybe even earlier in the week than that, maybe Thursdays start to look at lineups. But I mean, we're busy, man, right? Like we're all adults. We all have stuff to do, like errands to run the weekend. I mean, see, you have kids, so like, I can't even complain. I don't have any kids, but uh, it's hard. Like I think I just left too much for Sunday, and then I'm, I'm scrambling. I'm trying to make lineups, and inactives are coming out, and I'm trying to to get Raheem Mostert into lineups. So I think for me, time management and creating lineups maybe a little bit earlier is something that I want to do differently moving forward. Fair enough. I mean, one thing I'll say is, when it comes to week one, and this goes for the betting market as well, you know, try not to overreact to what you saw. I mean, there's a lot of things that that you saw that are going to that are going to hold true for the rest of the season. But for example, 
the Tennessee Titans thing worries me a little bit. And by the way, I should have mentioned in, in sort of one of my wins this week was I was super overweight on Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. The problem was my run back, and I had a little bit of Chase Edmonds too, but my run back just didn't pay off. Whether it was A.J. Brown kind of paid off a little bit, but not not even close to what I wanted. And then Julio was was just absent, essentially. So I guess my point is when it comes to Tennessee, I know Arthur Smith isn't there anymore, and that might have a heavy impact. But it's not like I'm going to ignore Tennessee at Seattle this week with with the 53-point total. You know what I mean? So like, don't just take what you saw in week one, uh, whether it's at, with respect to a fringe player or whether it's respect to with respect to a team and make your decision on how that team is going to be the rest of the year. We need a three or four. We talked about this before in terms of sample sizes and bankroll management, sort of that four-week timetable, three-week timetable. I think that's enough for us to get a really good idea of how these teams are going to play. And on top of that, I think it creates a great opportunity to buy low on these players. I mean, we you hear the term buy low a lot in season-long fantasy, which is obvious. You know, a player struggles, you try and trade for him from another team. But I think the same concept holds up in DFS. People are so reactionary to the week before that if you find an Allen Robinson who didn't have a good game and, and we're getting him at 6,200 in week two, I mean, like that's a pretty good price for what I consider one of the alpha wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, so something like that, or even a running back like Ezekiel Elliott, if we're getting him at lower ownership because of what we saw in week one, I think that creates some buy, buying opportunities for those. Mike, any lessons that you had from week one? Just be, need to be more disciplined on following the actual action during the day and making some of those late swaps, um, even though they're uncomfortable at times to make. But I think that was my, my personal biggest takeaway is just need to be a little sharper on some of that stuff. Yeah, you and me both. We got to take advantage of, of that late swap. Before we hit the break, I do want to promote, uh, we are going to have another Fantasy Football Today DFS contest this week. We do apologize. The first one did not w- run in week one. We got a little overzealous. We set it for 200 entries. This one this week will be 100 entries, $5 per entry. So if you want to play with us, feel free to do that. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to take a look at the Millie Maker winning lineup. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Football Today DFS. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so let's take a look at this Millie Maker winner from week one. And honestly, when I first saw this, this is a weird lineup, man. Like, there's not a lot of correlation going on. I don't know what's going on here. So I'll read it out to you, and then you guys can kind of react and tell me, like, how this worked and what worked and what didn't. But uh, they go with a Joe Burrow stack here. They have Burrow. They have Joe Mixon. Mixon, by the way, looked awesome. And I loved Mm -hmm. his usage. He had, like, 33 touches in week one. He has a chance to be awesome this upcoming season. He had T Higgins as well. So you have the burrow mix in T Higgins did not bring it back with anybody on the Viking side. The other running back that they had in the lineup, Melvin Gordon, who breaks off super long 70 yard 
touchdown run in that game against the Giants late. Uh, at wide receiver, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, tight end Travis Kelsey, Marvin Jones, who scores the touchdown late. And then the Cardinals defense at 1.3% ownership, which, I, which, yeah, I mean, technically that's, that's the winner right there. That's a slate breaker for him. He gets him sub 2%. They put up uh, 16 DK points there. Mike, what is going on with this lineup? It's, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's definitely not a good lineup, to be honest with you, which might sound weird because I, you know, jokes on me, I won a million dollars with this lineup, but it's it's not a good lineup at all. Um, the reason why he won is the Cardinals defense and the combination with Debo Samuel there. Um, big ceiling game out of Samuel. But overall, yeah, not great. Not a lot of correlation, just perfect storm where everything went right for him and or them, whoever's lineup this is. And the other combination is a lot of the chalk busted. Um, which brought the scoring down a little bit lower than it might normally be. And they were able to capitalize on that. But that's that's why it's the Cardinals defense having a lot of success, which is frankly a fine play on their own. Um, but the, yeah, the combination of players in this lineup, not highly correlated at all. The Debo Samuel thing, the one thing I will say is I thought that th- that was a great leverage play just because everybody was on Mostert and they were excited about the 49ers and everyone expected the 49ers to be winning this game by a lot. We didn't expect it to be as competitive as it was or or even as high scoring. I mean, they combined for uh, 74 points in that game, the Lions and the 49ers. So Debo Samuel definitely creates some leverage there, but no one saw that kind of massive game coming from him. See, what do you think of this winning lineup? Yeah, and the Debo thing is really interesting, too, because nobody really knew Brandon Ayuk was going to take like a super back seat there. So it, it worked out. I like that move a lot. I mean, I but I agree. I mean, for those of you that are listening, and you're like, well, why would you say it's a bad lineup? I mean, we, we did do a couple shows talking about like historical data, Mike specifically talking about historical data with correlating lineups and secondary stacks and things of that nature. So obviously, this is a, a huge outlier. I love what he did with Cincinnati. I, you know, I'm surprised he didn't. I mean... He has a primary stack on one side of the ball, and he has a secondary stack with Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, and that's great. But, I mean, normally you would obviously want to tie that Cincinnati stack to a Minnesota Viking, um, and then you'd want to tie the the you would likely want to tie the, the secondary stack to, or or maybe have just one of each on the Browns and the uh, the Kansas City side. But obviously, if you can fit Tyreek and Kelsey in your lineup in that particular game with that total, it makes sense. But yeah, and then he's got you know the Marvin Jones low end play there, which which ended up working out. I mean, it it looks okay, but I'm just very surprised that this lineup um, beat however many hundreds of thousands were were up against it. And something else that stands out is that they completely faded the high end running backs too. So no Kamara, no CMC, no Dalvin Cook. I mean, those names were all going to be very highly owned this week. Uh, but yeah, I think. Joe Mixon, man. Joe Mixon was like a sharp play because he wound up with similar usage to those other running backs and you were getting him at like 2, 3K less than CMC, Dalvin Cook, and uh, Alvin Kamara. Mike, I know you had some data that you wanted to share regarding the Millie Maker as well. Yeah, uh, there's definitely some data I wanted to share. And if you guys follow along these contest links too, go back and look. I believe it was the sixth place finisher I think had the best lineup in the top 10 uh, by a pretty considerable margin. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out is a lot of people have the misconception that you need 150 lineups to succeed in these contests. And it's simply not true. Uh, nobody in the top five had more than 14 entries. The winner that we just looked at had three lineups in this contest. Um, the 10th place finisher had 54, but there was not a single person who max entered it finishing in the top 1000 of this contest. Um, a lot of single entries, a lot of less than 10 entries. Um, I think that th- that's important to show. 
and then it's a frustrating thing, but I, I get a lot of comments a lot of times. Like it's so much easier to win at high stakes. And frankly, that is true. It is the unfortunate reality. The minimum score needed to cash is much higher at high stakes, but the actual winning score is going to be much lower because people aren't taking risks. They're not building uncorrelated lineups like this. You're playing against a sharper player and the person who won this millionaire maker was a result of the variance. It wasn't a, a great lineup at all. Um, the winning lineup in the, there were two millionaire makers on DraftKings this week. There was a $100 entry millionaire maker. The winner of that scored 206.58 points. That lineup would have finished 35th in the $5 entry. So instead of winning a million dollars because he spent a hundred, he would have won 2000 for spending that $5. So that's just to, to show you um, how drastically different and how much variance is involved in that lower price point uh, of this contest. All right, so let's take a look at week two, some early pricing here. I'll pull up uh, DraftKings and you can follow along. We'll look at some of the names here that are standing out early, but uh, there is no Patrick Mahomes, there is no Lamar Jackson on the main slate in week two. Uh, they either play, I think it's Sunday night football. Yeah, they play Sunday night football uh, next week. So they are not on the main slate here, which means there is only one quarterback over 8K, and that is Kyler Murray, who is coming off his massive game where he threw for nearly 300 yards, five total touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Cardinals offense just looked absolutely awesome, and it was a combination of the Titans defense looking uh, pretty bad as well. And I think one of the more popular, two of the po most popular games this upcoming week are going to be the Seahawks against the Titans because for the reasons I just mentioned, uh, Titans defense not very good. And then the Cowboys against the Chargers. And you're seeing a lot of mid-tier quarterbacks there. Russell Wilson, 7,500. Ryan Tannehill on the other side, 6,300. And then Dak at 68 and Justin Herbert at 67. Um, See, so yeah, any thoughts here up top at the quarterback position for week two? It's hard not to like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. I'll start there. I mean, I, I was overweight on Kyler Murray last week. I don't know that I'll be overweight on him this week, but I, I definitely like him. I don't see how Tennessee slows down Seattle. I, I don't think Seattle is the offense that that Arizona was last week, but I think it's pretty close. And so I think that, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some Kyler Murray. I'm going to have some Russell Wilson. And then I'll probably drop down. I, I, I may consider, and we'll talk about it more on Thursday when we get kind of deeper into these lineups and constructions, but Dak and Justin Herbert are interesting to me, but honestly, Jalen Hurts is probably the most interesting. And if I'm going really cheap, I'd probably be like Kirk Cousins. But I think Jalen Hurts against San Francisco, I think he's going to have, I mean, listen, we saw what Detroit did. Most of that was garbage time. Don't get me wrong. But San Fran has a, another injury already in, in the secondary with Jason Verrett being out for the year yet again. So I just don't think, and that's not a, a huge deal overall, but it's a big enough deal to matter. And I think Jalen Hurts and this offense are really going to be able to move the ball. I see this being a, a really big time back and forth game. So I like Jalen on the cheaper end. Jalen Hurts, by the way, his five last five starts, one this year and four last year, 60 rushing yards or a rushing touchdown in each of those games. So again, just complete. He gives you such a safe floor with that rushing ability. And honestly, he looked much better as a passer in that game against the Falcons. It, you know, Falcons defense, I don't think they're going to be very good. But overall, I mean, the throw that he had to Devontae Smith, that was just a perfect throw. He dropped it right in the basket there. And then the one to Dallas Goddard, I mean, he he zipped that in there. And, and that was a really, really strong pass. So I, I liked what I saw from Jalen Hurts as well. And uh, I agree, yeah, at 6,500, I think an opportunity to buy low 
Might be Josh Allen at 7,200. He was going up against the Steelers last week, did not perform well. Another tough matchup here in week two at the Miami Dolphins. They boast one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Uh, some 6K standouts, sub 6K standouts for me. Joe Burrow at the Chicago Bears, 5,800. We just saw him in the Millie Maker winning lineup. Tyrod Taylor, who we talked about last week, he performed pretty well. I mean, the entire Houston Texans, I don't know if that's like because the Jaguars are just one of the worst teams of all time. But uh, yeah, Tyrod, 5,500 at the Cleveland Browns. Mike, any takeaways here from the quarterback position? Maybe some of those cheap names that stand out. Uh, would you be looking to buy back in on Josh Allen at 7,200? Uh, yeah, I think the question, honestly, is going to be really somewhat interesting between Josh Allen and Dak Prescott. But I think Dak's going to end up popping really, really hard in the models here. 6,800, I think, is simply too cheap. Um, and then it's going to be Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. I think there's still going to be enough value across the board that you're going to want to take advantage of those two quarterbacks. Um, I think Jalen Hurts is fine. I will probably, after having so much success there, watching this San Francisco defense get carved up, I think the ownership will be a little too high for me to participate in that. Sure. Um, I, I think that it'll be, I, I've talked about it a few times on the episodes, but you know, in real football, running backs just don't matter, right? And we've seen that a lot. In fantasy football, the actual quarterback you choose doesn't really matter all that much um, as long as you choose the group of the right five of them. So I'm always going to play the ownership game just like I did in week one with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the scoring is just so evenly distributed for the most part between those players that I am, like I said, I'm always going to play the leverage game and that's going to be my ultimate decision maker. And as of right now, it's still obviously very, very early, but I, I do anticipate Jalen Hurts being quite popular there just because you're saving 300 bucks or up to 700 bucks. Um, not things that people like to miss out on. They like to save money, even if it's small, even if it's something as small as $200. So I will likely be above the Jalen Hurts threshold on the, uh, the quarterback next week. At the running back position in week two, we see the big three running backs here. Christian McCaffrey up at 9,900. He's going up against the New Orleans Saints. Dalvin Cook at 9,100. He is at the Arizona Cardinals. And then we have Alvin Kamara, who is 8,800 at the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I've already excluded Derrick Henry from the big three. It, it used to be a big four. Now it's a big three. That's that's probably <laughs> too reactionary as well, uh, though, you know, for Seattle last week, they gave up a ton of uh, a ton of work to Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines more so as pass catchers. And we know Derrick Henry is not going to be used in that capacity very much. I think the mid-tier as well is just going to be... Uh, we have a ton of decision points that we're going to have to make this week because Jonathan Taylor is 7,200 and he's going up against the Rams. He had a 20% target share in week one. Carson Wentz did not look good. All he kept doing was dumping off to the running back. So whether it's him or Naheem Hines, I think that he's in play if he's going to get as many targets as he did in week one. Joe Mixon, 7K. I mentioned his usage last week was absolutely ridiculous. He's 7K at the Bears. Najee Harris played 100% of the snaps in week one. He's 6,300 at home against the Raiders. Zeke is only 6,200. David Montgomery is 61. Chris Carson is 61. Daryl Henderson played 94% of the snaps. He was only 5,700 in week two as well. So see an early look here. Uh, Up top, we obviously have those big three running backs. They're all 8,800 or more. But the mid-tier is jumping out to me very early on here. 
Yeah, I obviously like the top three. I'm, I think I'm leaning Alvin Kamara like in terms of value as my favorite among those big three. As we get lower, I really like Nick Chubb. I mean, I think I think Cleveland is going to be out for blood, and it's just such a, it, it, you know, it's a bad time for Houston to be coming into town. Let's put it that way. And I think Nick Chubb could really go off. This game script is going; they're going to feed him the ball quite a bit. Uh, in the second half, also the first. So uh, I like him quite a bit. I'll be paying up for that. Um, I have some lower end guys that I like. By the way, I like. I wasn't on Najee Harris last week because I didn't think he was going to be super efficient against Buffalo. I do like him this week against the Raiders. So I'll probably be playing him. I like his price there. But on the low end, there's some interesting guys. And I don't know if I'm skipping ahead here, Frank. But no, I mean, Eli- Elijah Mitchell, we'll have more info in, on him on Thursday. But we know Mostert is out for the season. We don't know if Trey Sermon's going to be active. He probably will be active this week. But it looks like Elijah is going to get the lion's share of the carries. He's only 5K. I think you brought up Naheem Hines. I think he's really interesting at 4,700. I think that's a really good cheap option. You, you kind of know that Wentz is going to be dumping it off to Naheem Hines quite a bit. So I think there's some value there in terms of punting on uh, on running back. So those are a few guys I've got my eyes on. I'll, I'll mention one other low-end guy. Javante Williams is 4,400. And I think, you know, obviously Melvin had the big run, but Javante Williams got plenty of run, no pun intended. And I, I think he's in a pretty good spot. I think that's a really good price. Yeah, Javante and Melvin Gordon, I believe that they shared the snaps exactly, 50% each. Yeah, it was 50%. Javante actually had one more touch than Melvin Gordon in this game, 15 versus 14. He was not very efficient on the ground. Melvin Gordon broke off that long touchdown run. Mike, an early look at the running back position for week two. Uh, Another cheaper running back that stood out to me. Damian Harris, 5,400 at the Jets. Now, he did fumble late, so I don't know how that's going to affect playing time moving forward. Ramondre Stevenson also fumbled for the New England Patriots. We know how Belichick feels about uh, his running backs who fumble. But 25 touches for Damian Harris in week one. He had three targets, which we're not used to seeing from him. But now they have a new quarterback in Mac Jones. And they're at the New York Jets, so they're likely playing with a lead. So he was someone else that stood out to me uh, slightly as well. Mike, what do you think about the running back position in week two? Yeah, if you're not going all the way up to McCaffrey and Kamara in the same game, which that's going to require some value opening up uh, later in the week, which could very well happen. But if not, it's going to be a lot of Chris Carson for me at that medium price there at uh, 6100 He's a $7,000 player at you know when everything's running right. And then I'm going to go right back to the well with Chase Edmonds. Uh, he's just absolutely elite talent. He's going to have really, really, really high variance in his box scores this year. Uh, You're going to have games where we're going to end at five, six points, which is fine. Frankly, that's what I want. Um, It's priced in at 4,900. But you're going to have games where he's going to have multiple touchdowns. He's going to have the house call where he has the 70-yard reception where he gets loose. That's just the kind of player he is. That's just the way that's going to work for this Arizona team as they spread the field, especially with Rondell Moore, who I keep mentioning out there. Uh, Kirk out there, obviously Hopkins and then Kyler running. Um, you're going to see some magic to chase Edmonds. So he's someone who's routinely going to be probably around that $6,100 range that Chris Carson is. Um, so that's, those are two backs that I really love, uh, early, early, early looks here. Chase Edmonds played 58% of the snaps in week one. He led the Arizona Cardinals. He had 16 touches. He had four receptions, caught all four of his targets, a 13% target share. The only downside to him is that, uh, James Conner had four red zone opportunities while Chase Edmonds only had two, but that's something that we're expecting uh, based on their build, the way that they're going to be used. So uh, again, we were we were expecting that. I think your point about just the Cardinals' offense overall, Mike, they play 
so many wide receivers, three, four wide receiver sets, everything is spread out. And it's going to create a lot of running lanes. And, and even if it's just like a little dump off from Kyler Murray, he runs around, gets himself in trouble, dumps it off to Chase Edmonds. I think we are going to see a few of those long, long touchdowns from Chase Edmonds this season. So at 4,900 against the Vikings in what will likely be a very high-scoring game, I get behind that. I, I do like Chase Edmonds myself quite a bit. At, I love that pick, by the way. I love yep. it. I was on him last week too, but I didn't even see him. That, that's such a great call out by Mike. Yep, for sure. Love that price, under 5K. At wide receivers. We do have four at 7,500 or more this upcoming week. DeAndre Hopkins is at the Vikings in that same game. Stephon Diggs at the Miami Dolphins, 7,700. DK Metcalf going up against that Titan secondary that just got destroyed, 7,600. And Calvin Ridley at Tampa Bay at 7,500. And I do think one of uh, the bigger decision points at wide receiver will be stacking Seahawks or Cowboys, Um, but... For me, I mean, the combination of no Michael Gallup, softer pricing on the Cowboys in week two, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb are both under 7K based on you know how much the Cowboys are going to pass. I think that game is a high-scoring game as well. Uh, Seahawks versus Cowboys, I, I think it's an interesting talking point, but early lean here, Sia, is, is the Cowboys based on their pricing. Yeah, I like the Cowboys. There's also a punt receiver in there that you could probably play in Cedric Wilson, who I believe is 3,100. So I think there's there's plenty to go around with the Cowboys. I like CeeDee Lamb the best personally. Um, so I, I like him quite a bit. Other receivers, I, I mean, th- there's so many good games to choose from. I'm going to talk about – we'll talk about some of the high-end guys more. I mean, I like D-Hop. Uh, th- there's, there's a lot. But let me just talk about a few punts that I like. Um, Devonte Smith's 5,400. So if I do like Jalen hurts in that San Francisco game, that's obviously a decent stack. Um, and forgetting about punts for a second, Frank, you mentioned the price of the Rams receivers before we got, we went live and, uh, Cooper cup and woods, they're 6,000 and 5,700 respectively. So I think those are really low end prices for guys who are definitely going to get peppered with targets. Uh, I think Rondale Moore is back in play. I, I understand Christian Kirk got, got a lot of run, but I think, in terms of the touchdowns, but I think Rondell Moore, I think this whole season, he's going to, he's going to enjoy uh, quite the target share for a rookie. So I I like him as well. And uh, let me give you maybe one more punt. Let's go with, you know what? Forget about the punt. I like Antonio Brown against the Falcons at 6k as well. Uh, Yeah. Antonio Brown, 6k. You just mentioned that. I mean, he is, I would assume the cheapest of the three, Tampa Bay wide receivers here. Godwin is up at 66, and then we have Mike Evans at 61. So, all right, the pricing is getting um, a little bit closer between the three there. So, all, all between 6K and 6,600 this upcoming week. Uh, Mike, some sub-6K wide receivers that stood out to me. Devontae Smith, 5,400. He looks like the number one pass catcher for the Eagles last week. Corey Davis, once again, 5,300. He's pretty cheap. I think he'll be the number one for the Jets. Uh, Jamar Chase is at 5K. This one I just didn't get. I mean, he had a monster game. I, I get that they have three wide receivers, but he's only 5K at the Bears, and I don't think the Bears secondary is anywhere near as good as it used to be. And then LaVisca Chenault, he's 4,900. He's going up against the Broncos, who I do think have one of the better secondaries in the NFL. But they just got shredded in the slot last week by Sterling Shepard, who went for over 100 yards. He had a touchdown. So Chenault let us down last week, but that might create that buying opportunity. What do you think about some of these lesser wide receivers and uh, anyone else that stands out to you at the position? 
Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm running my numbers for the first time of the week right now alongside, and I can pretty confidently tell you, I will not have a wide receiver under $6,000 outside of Cedric Wilson um, for the Cowboys. And that will likely be, well, not likely, it'll 100% be in stacks where I've already got at least one, maybe two other Cowboys receivers. Uh, but for me, it's going to be Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CD Lamb with a run back of Keenan Allen. Um, we talked about it a little bit here, a lot on the early edge, but the pace of play for the Cowboys, they're going to lead the league in pace by a considerable margin. Um, it's going to lead to more plays. They're likely going to be ahead at times in this game. Um, Keenan Allen peppered with 13 targets in that last game. No reason to think he's not going to see double digits pretty much every week as long as he's healthy. So the absolute steal at $7,000 there. Um, other players I'll, I'll pay up for Deandre Hopkins a little bit. And then you already mentioned the Rams receivers if you're not interested there, but I can already tell you for the most part, I, the, the value on Cooper and CD lamb with Dak Prescott far exceeds anything else that I can plant the flag right now and tell you they're hundred percent be in my lineup. Nice. Yeah. Cowboys and Chargers is going to be a very popular game this upcoming week, and rightfully so with that pace of play, as Mike mentioned. At the tight end position, we got the big boys up top. Darren Waller, who had almost 20 targets on Monday Night Football. Just absolutely ridiculous. Awesome game for him. He's 7,600. He's at the Pittsburgh Steelers. George Kittle is 6,400. He's at the Philadelphia Eagles. Kyle Pitts did get the bump. He's up to 5,200 at Tampa Bay. Did not do what we expected him to Last week, but I mentioned the usage. I liked 31 routes run on 44 Matt Ryan dropbacks. He had a 24% target share. That's elite usage for a tight end. Uh, so Kyle Pitts at 5,200. And the name that stood out to me just early on here, 4,100, Tyler Higby Played 100% of the snaps, 25 routes on 28 dropbacks. I really liked his usage. I actually, I liked him in season long too, coming into the year if you missed out on that top tier of tight ends. So see so yeah, any leans here at the tight end position. Agree with you on Tyler Higby. Uh, I love the price there. As we sort of creep up in the pricing, I think Dallas Goddard is interesting. I think that's a pretty good price at 4,600 on DraftKings. And Kyle Pitts, you know, I'm curious to see where the ownership goes. It's probably going to remain high, especially since this total is really high. Um, I think in cash, Kyle Pitts might be a play. Uh, you know, his stats didn't really come out super well, but uh, he was on the field a lot. He he ran plenty of routes. He's going to he's going to be what everybody thought he was. He just didn't really do it week one. So I like Kyle Pitts. I, I don't know that I'll be paying up for Darren Waller, but I, I don't think I'd have an argument against it. Other than the fact that I think Pittsburgh, you know that that defense is a little bit better than I expected. Uh, I'll say that because they lost some pieces, and I didn't think they would be the same Pittsburgh defense. I think they're going to be really focused on taking away Darren Waller. So as the week goes, I'll focus in on that a little bit more. But I definitely like your value playing Higby, and, and I like Pitts and Dallas Goddard so far. If you are trying to get, I mean, all the way down at the tight end position, you just saw me searching up his name here if you're watching. James O'Shaughnessy ran a bunch of routes, like over 40 routes last week for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He like five, six receptions, whatever it was. He's 2,700, and the Jaguars are six-point dogs as of now against the Broncos, and I have a feeling that they're going to be losing a lot of games this upcoming season. So just, I mean, super punt, sub-3K, James O'Shaughnessy is a name there. Mike, there's no Travis Kelsey for you on the, sl on the main slate here. Uh, what do you think about the tight end position in Week 2? Yeah, it no, definitely projects as one where you're not paying up at all. Uh, I think that... Um 
Waller's probably one of the easiest fades of the week now at this point uh, against that defense and at that elevated price point. Um, so I, it is a very, very tough matchup for them, come, especially coming off the emotional high of that game, a little tiny bit shorter week. So I, I love Higby, obviously. Uh, I think the most interesting thing of the entire week for me is going to be Higby versus Noah Fant and what kind of discounted ownership I can get relative to Higby on Noah Fant. Um, obviously, Judy banged up for Denver. I think that this spot against Jacksonville, um, Jacksonville, while they were terrible, right? They're going to run enough plays, and it's not going to shock me at all at home here if they're actually somewhat competitive in this game. Um, so I do like Noah Fant here. I think right now it's going to be between those two. And then if you want to look for some additional value, I think John o. Smith is actually interesting. I know that price point's 4500 but I think that we're going to be talking 1% to 2% ownership at most because he's that three to $400 more than Higby and Fant, uh, but clearly has the upside five of five targets in the first week to Jones from Jones. Um, I, I think that's going to be a connection that I want to try to be early versus late on that one. And I know it's going to happen in the first three weeks of the season. Alrighty, that'll do. We're going to wrap there. And this is what we plan to do every week on the Tuesday podcast. We're going to do a little bit of recap, look back, cash game lineup review, some things that we learned, some things we did right, some things we did wrong. We'll try and learn from that, try and learn from all the mistakes that I make because I'm going to, going to make a ton of them throughout the course of the season. Uh, and then we'll do an early look ahead at the next week, mainly the main slate and the pricing there. So for Mike NC, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Football Today, DFS. Next time you hear us will be on Thursday when we deep dive every game for week two. We'll see you then.